Good morning, Crossroads, once again. Good morning, and good morning to the internet land, because I know there's people listening, and we have missionaries listening, um, even around the world sometimes. You know, it's not like, you know, days of old, where if you weren't here in this church, nobody heard you. But today, with the internet and the power of the internet, we can go really around the world, and we know that that people are plugging into our Instagram and website and able to listen uh, around the world. And so if you're listening to mo- today in, in, in the other parts of the world, hey, good morning. So once again, we're going to be looking at our summer series inspired by A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God. And he says, For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in a personal experience... They are, not, they are not the better for having heard the truth. Before God created man and placed him on earth, he first prepared the world. He prepared the world to meet the needs of man so that man can enjoy the pleasantries that were here. And he created an environment that would sustain man. God was previous to man and God makes the first move all the time. We know that. He makes the move towards man. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, God gives us a clear account of God creating the universe, God creating the planets, the stars, the moon, the sun, the animals, the people, the mountain, the air, and all the sea. All of these things are gifts to man from God. Two men from God and created for our pleasure. But all these things were external to man and subservient to him. In the depths of man's heart, man was empty. And the only thing that would fully satisfy him is God. And that would be God. God would be the center of his being, at the center of the garden at the center of his life. And the design and the desire was to hunger after God. And while we know there's more to life, there must be more to being born and living and dying. What is that? Why is it that we feel that way? Why is it that we feel empty at times? Well, finding God should lead us to hungering after God, to be filled with His Spirit, to be filled with His presence, to walk with Him often and regularly and daily. So what did we lose in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned that day? And what do we desperately need to do or to get back, to have a closeness with God, to have a hungering after Him? And I've titled this message, Hungering After God, call it tradition or what, can you stand one more time for the reading of God's word? This will be a short passage, and I will read it twice for you because it's that short. Some traditions are good. And every time the word is read, we don't have to get up and down and jump up and down because throughout the message we read it. But there are times that we just want to honor God specifically. And this just reminds us that that reading of his word is honoring. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed 
of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, may we hunger after you. May we thirst after you. May we put you first in all that we do, Lord God. Make these words come alive to us today. Anoint these words, Lord God. May you come in front of me, Lord God, so they see you, Lord God. They hear your voice, Lord God. And that these words will be anointed, I pray. Bless these people today, Lord God. Give us a thirst, a literal thirst for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I noticed a lot of people were drinking today. Maybe that thirst has already started. We see that. We want to thirst after God. While man had everything he needed in the Garden of Eden to live a satisfying life, man chose selfishness. Man chose pride. His mate over his maker and sinned. Shame and separation from God followed. And man replaced God with people and stuff and fluff. And after Adam and Eve sinned, God found him hiding and found them hiding from him as he's walking in the garden. The Bible says, as they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You see, before sin, a man would walk in the garden with God and talk with God. And there would be many ways that God chooses to communicate with man. He used language. He revealed himself to man. And it's in a way that man was able to understand something about him, something about his character, something about his ways, something about his deeds. And while we truly cannot know God fully, we can know something more about God. And God spoke with man, and God walked with man. He talked with man. He communicated with man. Life was good. And he shows up also in human form. And he has human feelings to reveal himself to us so that we understand more about him. While God is spirit, he revealed himself in ways that man can see him and feel him and, and know him. The Bible often describes himself, or God, with human emotions, laughter and jealousy and joyfulness, compassionate, he loves, he grieves. And we see the list goes on and on. And from the very beginning of time, we also see that man was placed on the earth. We, we know that God sought to communicate to man in ways that we can understand him better. God revealed himself to more than just Adam and Eve. He prepared Abraham. He prepared Moses. He prepared Joshua. He prepared Gideon and so many other people. Jesus comes as a born of a virgin, and we see that he reveals himself to the shepherds, and he reveals himself to the wise men. He walks uh, in, through gardens and lived on earth, and just like us, just like us. And many saw him. Many saw him. And knew that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the, the world. You see, God wants to know us and wants us to know him back and to know him as well. He wants a relationship with us. And from the beginning of time, he made himself known to man. But as always, sin comes in and complicates things, complicates our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. Sin separates ourselves from God. And while uh, God's gifts to us were the animals, the earth, the people, and all that stuff, those were His gifts to us. And we now have them and see them. But these very gifts from God were put at the center of man's life. While they were meant for us to enjoy, they were never meant for us to replace God with them. 
So sin has made these uh, gifts from God a, a potential source to ruin the soul. Man chose to serve creation over the Creator. And while Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands in the garden, man now, because of that, is forced out of the garden, separated by God, and has this, this deep, within, within his heart, this deep emptiness, this deep uh, void, this deep absence. And they replace it with things. They replace it with other stuff. And this is not just a simple story which we can quietly and carefully um, and just quickly glaze over it and try to resolve it on our own. No, man lost his appetite for God. Man sinned in the garden. Faint, uh, uh, um, fear, shame, loss of dignity, and so much more happened when man sinned that day in the garden. And man is un- unable on his own to come back. To God on his own. He's lost and he's unable to do this. So we're going to look at three types of life that man has searched for and we, and, and we know this. A man has sought the selfish life. The selfish life. And we still focus on self so often even today and we use words like me and mine, especially from your little kid. That's mine, right? That's mine. Give me my things back. Um, mommy and daddy bought all the stuff that you have on your back. And yet it's, it's yours, it's, right? We use these words as me and mine. And these words look very innocent on the surface, but they're deadly when they're put into practice. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. I will satisfy my own desires on my own timelines. I will do what pleases me. For I am the king of my own castle. These verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The root of the heart is now focusing on things, on stuff, on toys, on work, on life. And we dare pull at the root of these things. Because when we do that, we can die. Things have become... Life itself to us so often necessity. We must have this. I'll die if I can't have it. I need it so bad. And these were meant to be gifts from God to us. But now they replace God. And they're the center of our life. Creation is now praised and placed in a prominent position in our life over the creator God. We have chosen the selfish life over the God-centered life. This is wrong, and this is sin. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. Who loses his life for me, not for Anthony, For Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, lose it for him, find your life. So there's an enemy of our soul that we tolerate, and when we do that, it's at our own peril. The enemy is life. The enemy is self. And one might say it's the self-life. And if we want to gain or save our life, we must deny ourselves 
and lose our life. In fact, we must lose everything. We are to give up everything. Give up our own selfish wants, our own selfish desires. And hunger only after Him and Him alone because He is God. And He is the only true God. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross. That's a clue, church. Write that down. That's the way it can be done. But what's really important to understand, what appears to be that you lost everything. It appears. Maybe on paper. I'm worthless. I don't have anything. On paper. It's the, it's the process. But when you give it all up for Jesus, in fact, you gain everything. You gain it. Whoever loses his life to me finds it. Sacrificing for God, for his sake, gives us enduring life for our sake. The sacrificed life. The sacrificed life. The way to a deeper knowledge of God is through the lonely valleys of soul poverty and abnegation to of all things, based on the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The blessed ones, those who repudiate or reject the eternal things of the heart that have caused us to be separated from God. The poor in spirit is like a beggar or someone who needs more, someone who lacks, someone who might need assistance or is willing to surrender all their belongings because they won't allow things and people to rule them. Blessed are the poor. They're no longer slaves of the tyranny of, bless, of things. They won't be ruled by things. They won't be ruled by stuff. They won't be ruled by all the smoke and mirrors of the earth. And they have broken the yoke of the oppressor. And they have done this not by fighting, but by surrendering. They want more of God, not more of stuff. And in their freedom, church, of possessing less, in possessing less, they get more. And the most important thing, theirs is the kingdom of God. So we sacrifice things. He sees this. And in return, he blesses us. The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain, or, or, or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as of that of Christ Jesus. And we should not only just put people over self, but when we put things above God, above the Creator, we sin. We sin. But the sacrificed life, while it's good, and it is pleasing to God, it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough, church. Because you can sacrifice some stuff and still not be surrendered unto God. The Old Testament displays this concept of the surrendered life, and it takes into a, an extreme, a sacrificing to the extreme. Uh, when you get there, when you take it to the extreme, when you get there, you find the sacrificed, the surrendered life. You find the surrendered life. In Genesis chapter 22, God tells the story of the sacrifice of Abraham and his son. But in that sacrifice, he's going to be tested to the extreme. And the results of the surrendering of his own life over to God. God will be elevated into this proper place as the center of Abraham's life. That's the goal. Genesis 22, some time later, God tested Abraham, it says. 
he said to Abraham, and he called out to him, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here am I. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, and I will tell you about. On the surface, this is hard to read. Sacrificing your child is something I can't even imagine God telling anyone to do. It's a hard one. Nevertheless, Scripture says this. And what's hard to understand, it's just hard to understand. Genesis 12, verse 4. We're told that Abraham was 75 years old when he received this call from God. That you become a great nation. And by the way, don't just gloss over that age, that age 75. Abraham received a special calling, and we can focus on the young and the young adults and even children or the millennials, but let's not miss out on the older ones. They are still going to do some great things from God. So if you're older, we need you. This church needs you. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your knowledge. God still has a work for you. Hunger after God. Hunger for the things of God. Your time is up when you no longer have breath. That's when your time is up. In the meantime, you have responsibilities. You have obligations to God for His glory, to tell His story. Amen? Hunger after the things of God. Stay focused. Finish strong. Finish well. In Jesus' name. Amen? Abraham was 75 when he received his calling. And now he waits 25 years for the prophecy to come true. His son Isaac will be born. Can you imagine that joy? Can you imagine the story, the happiness of this proud father, all the things going through Abraham's mind? He waits 25 years for this to come true. For God is going to provide, and God does provide because God's words are true. You can rely on them. And though he doesn't always give us the timetables, they are true, and they will happen exactly like he says they will happen. And now he has Isaac, his son. The covenant is being fulfilled. The Messiah is going to come out of this lineage. Such excitement, such, such joy is in the air. He's holding the baby. And some of you like, don't want to hold babies, but I know what it's like to hold some babies. I enjoy still holding babies. Now, I will tell you something. I don't need to hold your baby. I had my own. But let me tell you, I experienced that. I understand that. And he sees in his future the blessings of God that was declared over his life and now his child's life. And he's excited. And now he's watching this child. So he waited 25 years. And now he's watching this child. And now 20, 25, maybe 30 years are going by. And God speaks to him again. And he's enjoying all the things of this child. And this child is now a man. And God speaks to him again and says, sacrifice him. Woo! That's crazy talk to me. I don't really understand that. Why would God do this? I can't imagine how Abraham now felt. What would he do? Will he sacrifice his son? Would he yield his most precious gift to God? Yes, he will. He will surrender his life to God and fully trust him. Woo! That's crazy. Why would he do this? Why would God ask him to do this? Because Abraham was being tested. He was being tested. How much do you love God? You see, his forefather, Adam, was put to a test, and he failed in the garden. 
He put things. He put his bride above his God, his mate above his maker. Would Abraham do the same? Would Abraham love his son more? More than God? More than his love for God? Did he hunger after God? Or did he hunger more for his own son? The Bible says Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now I wonder what was said as he was climbing up the mountain to sacrifice and kill his son. I I wonder how he wrestled with God that night before the sacrifice saying, take me, Lord, not my son. Don't take my only son. I'm old. He's young. I've lived. He hasn't lived yet. I will give my life for his life. I mean, do you feel it? Do you get it? There's passion there. Come on. Anyone who's a parent, got to get it. And if you're not a parent, and you, just understand your best friend. You got to kill your best friend. Replace that with something. You got to get emotionally tied into this. How can this be? How can this be? And then you start reading. You start saying, hey, remember, Sarah was barren. Abraham was 100, and he was still getting it on. That's what the word says. Woo, 100 years old. I hope I have that vigor. I hope I have that spice. I hope I still have flavor and strength like he did. And he has a son, Isaac. But God has performed miracles in the past. Miracles and miracles and miracles. So is this too much to be asked? To give up his son? To sacrifice his only son? Well, we know God sent his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth. To save man, to be crucified on the cross, to be raised up on the third day. And through his death, we can have life, abundant life. That should get you a little bit more excited than you are. I know inside your mind, you're jumping up and down. But Jesus himself surrendered things over to God by saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was willing to die. And Jesus went to the cross for us, for our sins. Because of his faithfulness, we no longer need to fear death. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus took the sting out of death. And those who repent and believe and call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved shall be saved. It will happen, church. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your friends. Continue to preach. Continue to teach. Continue to proclaim. Continue to be examples, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has been declaring and directing things over Abraham's life for a long time. And Abraham now learns how to trust God. Can you learn how to trust God? You don't just wake up one day and get it all figured out. It's a process. It's a process. And while this request is hard to bear, it's incomprehensible, Abraham surrendered his life to God and made God the center of his life. Above all else, above all things, he will offer his son Isaac. God directed him to do that. And he trusts God with his presence. Trust God with his future. Trust God that he will raise him up. And he will give him the son for the Lord's sake. But he will gain his life back in the process. Because he trusted God above all things. If anyone comes after me, they must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose his life. But whoever wants to lose his life for me will find it. Those moments are here. Isaac 
is bound. Abraham takes his knife, sharpens it up, lifts it over his head. But at the very moment, such like God, the Lord steps in and says, stop it. Don't do it in Genesis 22, verse 12. Don't touch the boy. Don't lay your hands on this boy. Do nothing to him. Do not harm him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your only son. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham is now a man fully surrendered unto God. There was no doubt that Abraham is hungering after God and wanted God first in all things. God first and God center of his life. The Lord never intended Abraham to kill his son. Just wanted him to realize that his son was not the temple. That his son was not the center of his heart. But that God was supposed to be at the center of his heart. And God should be at the center of your heart, church. At your heart, church, nothing should be greater than the desire for God to please your God, your creator, your maker. Nothing should be greater than that desire. God is constantly giving us opportunities to hunger after him, to desire more of him, to make him the center of our life. But this is a process, and it takes time. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Start hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Abraham now holds nothing above God. But understand this. He was rich. Man, I wish I had his money. Maybe not the cattle, but money. We could have sold the cattle, right, Gloria? We could have sold the cattle. But he was rich. He was physically rich. He was a wealthy man. Probably by today's standards, he was rich. But he held nothing above God. That's what you have to understand. Everything he owned was for him to enjoy. His wealth, his bride, his family, his land, his cattle, his son. But not to be placed above God. Not even his own flesh and blood. He had everything but possessed nothing. And there lies a spiritual secret. We're not owners, right, Vinny? We're stewards. God has loaned things to us. And never, that's my crown financial guy. So just every time I say money and Vinny, so you know what's going on. He's crown financial. He money matters, dude. You know, I grew up knowing that stuff. And, and so we're blessed to have Vinny part with, with this. But sorry when I say that, that's where, that's where I'm thinking. My money matters, dude, there. So, so we know that, that he had everything but possessed nothing. And so God loans things to us. He loans things to us. But those things are never to be placed above God. And when we do that, we sin. When we do that, we've taken created things and placed them above and beyond our creator God. We hold onto these things and stuff and we work so hard to make the money, so hard to be successful and to have safety and security. That gives us satisfaction. And we try to do that. But it's external to us. And it gives us a false sense of security. 
We don't want to give up our treasures to the Lord because we have fear of having less when we do that. Well, if I give you this, Lord, and I dedicate it to you, then where's my safety? Where's my security? What do I bring home to mama? But this type of thinking is actually foolish. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we sacrifice for the Lord, when we surrender our life to the Lord, we actually gain our life. We gain the more. We're set free from the bondages of life, from slavery. And we can truly be satisfied. We can truly be fulfilled in Christ. Happy are we. Blessed are we. You see, our gifts are from God, which are things and people and family, this earth, the air we breathe, all the stuff. This is from God. These are gifts from God. We are to enjoy these things. When we put those things above God, we sin. A surrendered life to Him should have no fear of loss. When we lose our life, we gain our life. The Lord came not to destroy, but to save. Everything is safe and secure when we commit it to Jesus. Nothing is safe and secure when it's not committed to Him. What makes us think to have God in our life means we lose? What, what, what makes us think that we'll have less? God has given us the abundant life. God has given us his power. God has given us his spirit to move through us, and he breathes on us. That's powerful. We've got to get that. But we are to hold these things in less esteem than the giver himself. Our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our skin color, our looks, the color of our eyes, our accent, our hair color. Just keep going. All of this is from God. And we need to turn it over to God. Oh, Lord, your will be done in our lives. And when we understand this, that we lay it all at his feet, we don't own anything. We don't have the right to do whatever we want with the gifts that he gave us, with the body that he gives us, the finances that he gave us, the spouse that he gave us, the family that he gave us. We yielded all over to God, and we now have the surrendered life. 1 Corinthians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What did you have that you did not receive? And you did receive it. Why do you boast as though you did not? All that we have, everything that we own are gifts from God. And those gifts are to be used for the glory of God so that, so that we can be a blessing. We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. We have so we can give. We have so we can release. We have so we can set people free and let it go. So many people are holding back from God, the gifts from God. And when they do that, you're sinning and you're robbing from God, the Bible says. Very famous passage, Malachi 3, chapter 3, verse 8 through 10. But you ask, how do you rob? Or how do you rob God in tithes, in offerings? You're under a curse because of it. The whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room. This is not a message on tithing. This is just a message of the abundant life of God. Grace demands more. Grace provides more. But how do we rob God? How do we rob God? By holding back our gifts, our talents, our blessings. How do we rob God? By not living the surrendered life. By not allowing him to be the center of our life. By not hungering 
after him. You are to hunger after him. You are to thirst after him. You are to go after him like you're running after silver and gold. Psalms 42. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? There should be a desire. There should be a thirsting after God, a hungering after God, a great expectation that we will meet with God. Do you thirst for God? Do you hunger after God? Have you surrendered your life over to God? We're so spoiled in this country. People say, why are there miracles happening all over the world? And they are. First, let me say, there are miracles happening in the United States of America. People are coming to find Jesus Christ. They're getting to know Jesus in a very personal way. And you know, a changed heart is a miracle. The heart that is deceitful and wicked, who can know it? The heart that goes after selfish things and desires his own way is something only a holy God can transform by his power. It's a miracle. And when someone turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. But I know what you're saying. You want the more. You want even more than that. You want sacrifices and supernatural uh, occurrences. You want the dead to rise and the blind to see and the lame to walk. I get it. I want those things too, but let's not gloss over a changed heart. Let's not gloss over what's happening over in the church, the, the power of God coming over people. The miracle of rebirth, is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And may we never just gloss over souls that are saved, souls that are won, lives that are touched. But we have an obligation to seek after God and find him and know more of him and hunger more for him. We thirst and we should pant after him. In this country, we really have too much. But really, what we need more of is Jesus, not more stuff. We need more of Jesus. He will fill us. Are you thirsty? Do you want the more? If you're sick and hurting, you go to a doctor. You very often take a pill. And some even take illegal drugs or drink themselves to sleep and say tomorrow will be a better day. I don't really know many people who drink themselves to sleep and tomorrow's a better day. But in these countries around the world, People don't have the options that we have here. They're hopeless. They're hungry. They're crying out to God. In this country, though, we have so much. In this country, are we desperate for God? In in a lot of those countries, they're thirsty for more of him. The pain is real. The death is real. The disease is real. The bug bites are real. They're starving. And they're hungering after God. They're crying out for God. And God responds. He heals them. He saves them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But here in America, it's so simple. We make a call. We go to the corner store, and we get some relief. It's pretty simple. Now, I believe in doctors and hospitals. These are gifts from God, but not to be placed over the great physician. Not to be placed over the great healer. Don't just gloss over that. Go to the doctor. Call 911. But make sure you make your 911 calls to God the Father. Make that call. Hunger after him at your core as you're going to the hospital. There's wisdom that needs to be here. Church will, these next closing moments, I just, I, I got to get this through. Are you hungering after God? Are you thirsting after God? Is this just another Sunday for you? Do you thirst after him? Worship team, you can start working your way up. Recently I had a lady... I was doing my, one of my walks, and I'm praying, and I'm reading, multitasking. 
And I run into a lady, and this guy's car's parked. They wanted to know who I was walking in the neighborhood. They said I didn't belong there. And I'm like, I do now. I live across the street. I, I, I'm part of your neighborhood. You'll see more of me. But anyway, we move on. But what happens is here, in, in talking with this lady, she said she got to know God in a very powerful and profound way by reading the words of God. It scared her so much, so much, the power of God was so real when she cried out for it. And she found God, and she was hungering after God. That she closed the Bible and didn't go back to it. What? But yet I understand that power, because I experienced it. I felt the power of God come over so strong and so profound that I didn't want it. It feared. Fear came over me. And so I want to tell you, church, yes, when you see a great angel, that's going to make you fearful. It might make you frightened. But God and the Holy Spirit, they're gentle. He will love on you. He will walk you through that. You bow down if you have to. Close your eyes if you have to. Tremble if you have to. Get loose, church. Move a little bit. Get excited for the Lord. Don't let the power of God scare you. His power should excite you. His power should bring you in. His power should say, I want the more. I want to tap into it. I want it. I want it for me, but I want to release it for you. Every one of us should be saying that same thing. We want it for us, but we want to release it for you. When was the last time you prayed, Holy Spirit, fill me? Have you cried out for him? Lord, are you searching for that spirit? Holy Spirit, come and drench me with your power. Drench me with your presence. When was the last time you said, Lord, stretch me? Stretch me. When was the last time you cried out to God and said, use me? Use me. I don't want to put words in your, in your mind. But I want to ask those questions because this is, a, this is a, a personal thing. When was the last time you longed for God? When was the last time you hungry, hungered for Him? When was the last time you wept? When was the last time you wanted the more? God's presence is real. God's pleasant presence is in this place. Would you stand with me, church? This is the time for you to respond. Some of you need to run to this altar. Some of you need to set pride on the side and religiosity on the side and say, yes, Lord, I want more. Yes, Lord, I want more. I want more. I want more. I'm not going to be embarrassed by those around me. Some of you need to shout. Some of you need to let your blood pressure raise. I want to go around with blood pressure and say, are you alive? Are you alive? Are you living? Are you excited? Now, I get it. We all respond to God differently and personally. So you know what? I release you to sit down if you need to sit. It's okay. It's okay. I saw this, I saw this precious, precious lady go on her knees. Maybe she can't jump and do backflips. Maybe she can. I don't know. But she went on her knees. She, she was moved by the power of God. Church, what an example. Thank you for responding to the power of God. Are you moving? Are you responding? Are you thirsting? Do you pursue him? He can be found. Are you hungering after him? Are you thirsting for him? There seems to be no urgency. Many are living the selfish life still. 
There's no fruit. There's no love. There's no urgency. That's the selfish life. Thinking about what you're going to do five minutes from now instead of eternity. We spend more time thinking about our vacation than where we spend eternity. Some have made it to the sacrificed life. They give some money. They give some time. They serve a bit in the church. They give their dollar. They feel good. But they're holding back from God. They're still robbing God. You need to repent. Change your ways. But our goal, church, is a surrendered life where we fully understand it's all God. As we empty ourselves of the trivial pursuit of things and place God back into the center of our life where he belongs, fully pursue him, we find a surrendered life.